Welcome to the Culture Wise Podcast, where God's good news meets the Latter-day Saints with wisdom and grace. In this podcast, we're aiming to discuss topics relating to how followers of Jesus can more effectively reach Latter-day Saints in their relational networks, whether it's individuals or, or church leaders. And my name is Ross Anderson, and I'm joined today by John Stoddard. Today's episode, we're going to talk about uh, some tools that, that churches can use to help in, assimilate LDS people into the local church and to develop them in their uh, discipleship, in their relationship with Jesus. So uh, John is a pastor of Jordan Valley Church. So John, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and, and your story, your, your journey a little bit as we uh, kind of get into our topic. Let us know who you are. Yeah, uh, thanks Ross, thanks for having me on here. And um, so came to Utah nine years ago, uh, and actually if we back up a little bit, um, I grew up in Colorado and uh, went, served in the military for a while uh, after college, got out, moved back to Colorado, and thought we'd be settled um, and live there long-term. I had just gotten married. Uh, but God really kind of put a U-turn in my life, felt called to ministry. So then my wife and I, we moved out to Philadelphia so I could go to seminary. And I really wanted to go back to Colorado because I love skiing, I love biking, and Colorado is the best place for that. But my wife actually did a number of mission trips. In, she grew up in Southern California uh, up here. Uh, she did college spring break mission trips mm-hmm. to Utah, and um, Utah was just always on her heart. And in the way God works, I was trying to find a job at a church in Colorado, and I felt like I was getting ignored even by my friends <laughs> that I knew out there. <laughs> but everything fell in line for us to move to Utah, which wouldn't have been on my radar if it wasn't for my wife's influence. Right. And so very quickly discovered uh, the things I love about Colorado are here in Utah, yeah. and have grown to love Utah, and Lord willing, um, would stay here for my whole career. I, there's, I don't think there's a better place to do ministry. Yeah, amen. I agree with you on that. It's a, it's an exciting place, a fun place, and even in the nine years that you've been here, uh, a lot of things have changed. I'm mm-hmm. sure you've seen mm-hmm. uh, things develop in the culture and the society and in the church at large around us that uh, provide a lot of encouragement for, for people who are, who are serving out here. Yeah, it is It is remarkable. I mean, the thing I used to say is we live in uh, South Jordan, uh, which is a city of, I think, 65,000 people, uh, you know, upper middle class suburb of Salt Lake, which up until maybe four years ago did not have a single Starbucks in the entire town, right? <laughs> which yeah. anywhere else in the U.S., that is prime Starbucks market. <laughs> oh, totally, yeah. <laughs> and yet yeah. we didn't have a single one until one opened just off of Bangor, and now I think there are three. Uh, that have opened up. And so I've always, like, Starbucks knows something is going on here that maybe yeah. the rest of us don't. Yeah. It, and the interesting thing is there's probably a bunch of other coffee shops that have opened up, too, in Ex- competition. Yeah. So the whole market has changed, right? Yep. Yeah, I remember uh, seeing that happen in our area, too, up in Ogden, where one by one, you know, coffee shops became a thing. They mm-hmm. were never a thing, mm-hmm. you know, before. So, <laughs> yep. and yep. that's representative of something other than coffee, of course. It's representative right. of cultural shifts that are going on. So, you know, coming to Utah, Colorado, there's a lot of things common in the in terms of Western culture and so forth. And then living on the East Coast, um, you come to Utah, um, even though your wife had been here before, 
you probably weren't maybe fully prepared for everything that you encountered. Tell us a little about a little bit about your your learning curve. Yeah. In 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 Utah culture and ministry and and everything entail that that entails. Yeah, I think you know probably like a lot of folks when learned we were coming to Utah, I you know bought all the books about Mormonism and you know all the you know hundred and one things that are wrong with Mormonism and all this stuff, and I wanted to be prepared, and I was ready, you know, to have my interactions with my neighbors and uh, um, the missionaries and stuff. Just one little funny story. I think probably a lot of guys feel this way. We'd moved in to our neighborhood. We were renting uh, a duplex in Midvale, and we had the big moving truck and everything. I was like, within 24 hours, we're going to get missionaries, right? And so wait, no one showed up. A week goes by, still no one shows up. And I'm starting to figure out what's what's going on. Two weeks go by, we get a knock at our door, and I okay, this is the moment. I'm ready, right? I've, I'm, right. I've been studying for this, ready for these interactions. Open the door, and it's two older women, which threw me off. And then I start talking to them and discover they were Jehovah's Witnesses. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, uh, I had to flag down some Mormon missionaries like six months later as they were uh, biking across our street because I was tired of, of waiting for them to come. <laughs> but I think that kind of maybe symbolizes, uh, at least my experience, probably a lot of guys, as we come to Utah thinking, uh, one, everyone's going to kind of care about us or be interested in what we're doing, which that that's somewhat true. But I think the other key piece is you study Mormonism, and then when you just read about it from a book— you're kind of like, this is super weird, and why would anyone believe this? Right. And so you think, this is going to be very easy, because I'm going to come in, and I'm just going to tell them about grace, and they'll be like, I've never heard about that before, and they're all going to come running to you, right? Bang! You know, <laughs> wow, you know, yeah. And then I very quickly learned over and over again, it's not at all like that, right? And it's, there's an entire, and actually some of your videos and, and writings were really helpful for me early on to discover you know, half, if not the majority of the appeal of Mormonism is the culture and the the good things it does for people. Right. And we really have to understand that. And then secondly, that um, it will, on one hand, will never... It's... You actually don't... I don't think you need to know that much about Mormonism coming here to Utah, right? There's a couple things that are helpful to know so you can know how they're defining terms differently. Yes. But actually, I found, I came to Utah thinking my job would be, you know, here's all the wrong things about Mormonism, here's where the Bible's true. And actually, it's just been about people that God is working in their life, showing up in our church or in my sphere, and showing them the beauty of Christ. And there's very little, like, you know, pressure, <laughs> like, they're just hungry. There are right, more spiritually right. hungry people here than anywhere I've ever been. Yeah, and, it, and it's not hard to talk about matters of faith in, in the culture that yeah, we live in. It's right. not really not... It's, people are not, you know, they, they want to talk about either their faith or, like you said, there's there's a hunger, there's a, a dissatisfaction that comes from, you know, being maybe burned by a high-demand religious system, works-oriented religious system, or or by feeling uh, alienated from the culture in some mm-hmm, way. And so, mm-hmm, yeah, I, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm with you on that. That's really important insight um, to share. So, so you figured it out. You figured out, you know, I'm not opposed to the, to the book part of it, right? There's some, mm-hmm. there's some helpful things that, that are out there, but 
you really have to learn by living it, right? So, yep. yeah, yep. by meeting people, talking to people, hearing what they really do believe or what they yep. don't believe, and yeah. Yeah, so... And, yeah. and just to jump on mm-hmm. that, I think it's under... There's definitely a role for understanding the ins and outs of, of Mormon doctrine and yeah. all that, but I think that can so easily be a distraction, especially from when we first guys first get here. When I first got here, this is how it was, and realize that actually there are so many people in this state that probably have, you know, Mormonism in their background, but have left that, but are just lost, right. and, and afraid to connect to something, but they want, they know there's living water out there, but they're not sure where to find it. Yeah, they know where not to find it in their right. experience, mm-hmm. but they're not sure where would you go to find it. Yeah, yep. yeah. Yep. that's a great point. And, and, and you know, I, I agree, it's good to understand the framework, the framework that has shaped them in some way or another, even if they're reacting against it, it's yeah, still yep. it's still formative in their understanding of of of, of their worldview, basically. So we ha- we do need to understand that. But I've always said I don't really know what anybody believes until they tell me what they yeah, believe. Yeah, yeah, so, that's you a know, good point. So this it's nice to have the stand, but you also have to really listen um, just to where where people are at. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, I, th- mm-hmm. I think you have a great perspective on um, the spiritual need of the culture. It, it reminds me, in a lot of ways, it reminds me of Jesus in the first century. You have this polarization, almost, between the religious self-righteous who don't see any kind of need that they might have, and then you've got the people on the other side of that uh, pharisaical culture who maybe feel even more acutely their need because they are on the outside of that, of that, um, mm-hmm. you know, cul- mm-hmm. that, that cultural system, religious system. And so you see Jesus interacting with self-righteous people in Luke chapter 7, right? He goes to the house of Simon the Pharisee, and there he interacts with both. There's Simon who, who treats him arrogantly, and then there's this woman who, who bathes his feet in her tears because mm-hmm. she knows her brokenness. And, right, um, right. and you kind of see both of those at work in, in Utah. Yeah, it's, it's kind of the paradigm I've worked on is I say there's—it's like in Utah— the dominant narrative is there's two train stops. There's either the church, which in Utah, everyone knows what the church is, right. and then there's anti-church. Right. Right? And even people, it's funny that we have folks that come to our church, you know, that know, they just moved here for a job, uh, knowing nothing about Utah culture. They feel this pull to either show how Mormon they are or how not Mormon they are. Yeah. Right? Yep. And then the kind of dominant narrative within the culture is you know, well, if you're in the church and you want to get out of the church, the next train stop is anti-church, which, yeah, you can have your, you know, your coffee uh, or beer, whatever it is, but you're also probably going to get divorced and, you know, become a horrible parent. Right. It's a package deal. There's no middle ground. And on the church, or the anti-church side, it's, I think there are people that are wrestling, man, maybe I want a religious community, but I still want to have coffee in the morning. (laughs) And, and, And you're told, well, that's the next train stop, right? Yeah. And so much of Christian church's role, I think, is showing... That there you can, there's a, there's a middle way, there's a different way, a third right, way, a third way, really, yeah. right? And yeah. and it's I'm Presbyterian, so Presbyterians, a lot of our theology came out of I think Scots in pubs drinking beer together, <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, so yeah. I always yeah. kind of joke. What I try to show my neighbors, even people, is it's possible to love God and enjoy drinking beer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you can quibble on the details, but that to show that you know there's a a different way which fits perfectly with that first century. Uh, the details are different, but that first century paradigm of either, you know, there were the Jews, and then there were the Gentiles, right? And they were very polarized right. in what that right. looked like. Yeah. 
And I, I love that, 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 that they have a, the idea of a third way. And a lot of times people get off at the second stop before they get back on and get off at the third yeah, stop. Right. <laughs> kind of like kind of like our stop to be the second stop maybe, not yep, the third yep, stop. Right. But anyway, <laughs> that's a great that's a great metaphor for talking about that and make, understanding that. And so, as you as you went along, you know, um, leading this church and and developing the ministry there and your ministry there, um, what, just what are some things you you know you tried? Let's just think, mm-hmm. think about because I, I just encourage I'm encouraging every church to to take some fundamental principles um, about how the gospel gets contextualized and how we do church in a contextual way and try stuff yeah, you know and yeah. so and then see what happens you know as you learn you learn as you go so what are some things you guys have tried that worked or that didn't work or mm-hmm. over the nine years. Yeah. So at first, it was a lot of trying, and nothing was working, and it was very frustrating. <laughs> that was discouraging. Uh, yeah. And it was, it was good for me. I actually, in hindsight, I realized I needed that for God to work some stuff in my own life yeah. to to have a healthier approach towards ministry. Yeah, I've been there too. Yeah. yeah. And but the stuff we tried was, I think, stuff that everyone would think of to try, right? Whether mm-hmm. it's you know, neighborhood get-togethers, um, vacation Bible school, various events, um, picnics, uh, traditional advertising, right. all of that right. stuff. And I found it's especially something like a VBS, which makes so much sense because there's a ton of kids in Utah. So many kids, yeah. And everybody, you know, is looking for something for them to do. So it was very easy to get a ton of kids but it almost never translated, at least for us, into people actually coming to Sunday. Right. Right. Yep. Or yep. if it did, the few times it did, it was usually someone that was coming from another Christian church, which we at least try really hard to not make. <laughs> that's not our goal. Yeah, that's not a goal. Uh, yeah. it, you know, for how we yep. want to reach people. So a, a lot of those traditional things that probably work elsewhere just did not work here, events, you know, mm-hmm. community outreach type stuff. Yeah. I almost went full circle again, you know, kind of our my reformed Presbyterian background is one of the things we put a lot of emphasis in is what we call the means of grace, mm-hmm. you know, which are just very simply the word, prayer, and sacrament. And I discovered about three, at, at the end of three years, we relaunched the church because we weren't on a good trajectory. And in that was kind of we started to see the first bits of fruit of reaching the people that we really wanted to reach, which yeah. are folks that are in Utah that don't know God but are seeking spiritually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what worked to reach them was not all these events, but in some ways our worship, word, prayer, and sacrament. Mm-hmm. And then I throw in there a website. <laughs> if it's a means of gr- fourth means right. of grace. <laughs> it's, a certain, it's certainly a means. Yeah. So, and, yeah. and we can unpack those some if you want, but it, yeah, what I found will. was for so many, you know, people talk about Google is the gateway drug for why people leave uh, the LDS church. Uh, and I discovered it was also kind of, it's in a weird way, Google becomes the thing they trust most for figuring out what they're going to believe next. Interesting. Yeah, it, it's even though there's, you know, it's well, we not, all we all know the pitfalls of right of the internet. Well, exactly. The, That's what's kind of ironic the about truth it. About everything. <laughs> but interesting. So, but what? Just a tangent for a second. You know, why do you why do you think that is in this culture? Yeah. So I think it's there's the things that make Google 
a good shepherd in leading them out of the Mormon church are anonymity. Yeah. Right? It's less risky. You can kind of, you know, you do it without necessarily having to put yourself out there, right? You can observe, right. you can hear, yeah. and there's a lot of content out there. You're kind of in control of the of the pathway, of the right. timing. That's and, a gr- yeah. yeah, that's a great way to put it. And I think those things, because of all the fear of getting connected in some other religious system or organization, yeah. Yeah. make Google seem safer and maybe a little bit more trustworthy uh, than just jumping in and showing up at a church. Right, interesting. Trustworthy by, by comparison. That's, that's insightful to me, because trustworthy compared to what? So I think in the LDS person's mm. mind, it's trustworthy compared to a you know kind of a hierarchical, authoritative, dominant uh, a religious institutional system. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so that's their frame. If that's their framework, then they're going to think, well, how do I know that's not the case at this church, that church, or any place else where I might investigate? I, I I'm bending over backwards to avoid any kind of sense of being roped into something, right. or or you know, lied to again, or, um, you know, given up my autonomy like I did before. So mm-hmm, there's this huge, mm-hmm. huge distrust of institutional religion. Yep. So that, so by contrast to that, right. Google is more <laughs> trustworthy, right? right? Cause, cause they're not going to try to assert now, you know, they're going to, they're going to, uh, follow my, um, every move that I make and right. my, track my movements <laughs> yep. and stuff, but, but they're not going to, they're not going to demand a tithe from me. They're not going right. to try to coerce me into conformity yeah. to something. Yeah, so that and, makes sense. And, and maybe I'd just jump off that. There's an aspect in which that unfiltered nature of Google is what they like, because they can, mm-hmm. for lack of a better term, find out the dirt on our church, our religious belief, or whatever, yeah. which is what they will really led them out of the Mormon church. I think it's like, I want to figure that out first yeah. before showing up somewhere. Yeah, make uh, a commitment to something and to find out later that, right. uh, you know, I was uh, snookered. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, so I, I started to realize that there's this huge group of people that are on, going online to, to research things. And um, w- one quick story that just illustrates it. This was around that same time, right before doing that relaunch, where there was a couple that lived just down the street, pioneer, um, stock Mormons, right? Very invested. But independently were questioning the LDS church but afraid to tell it to their spouse. So at night, when the man's wife went to bed, he would go online and open an you know, incognito browser <laughs> <laughs> and be researching all of this history of the Mormon right. church, right? And then he would close it and you know, remove any trace uh, because he was wrestling with these things, but afraid to tell his wife. Well, when he would go to work, his wife would hop on the computer, <laughs> open a, this incognito browser, and research all this same stuff, and then get rid of, you know, all the evidence by the time he got home, right? And, and then finally, they have, they've got a you know, good marriage, and they're like, I can't keep this from my spouse. So he's like, I've got a confession I've got to make, right? And it's like, well, I've been, you know, researching these things, and then she's like, I've been doing the same thing, right? And <laughs> I think that is so common. Right. And so I started to just get these little data pieces, right, of this sort of thing, and felt like we need, how do we get out there online so that when they are looking at these things, they find us. Right. And it feels like we are, one, a place that maybe resonates with some of the, uh, resonates in a good way with some of the fears of what they left, right, that this is different and good, um, and seems like it could be a safe place for them 
because the other kind of common thing I found is that Jesus seems to say constant in some of these people's lives, right? They got rid mm-hmm. of right. the LDS church, but I, right. I'll hear over and over again, I kept believing in Jesus. Right? Yeah. And so where do we have an online presence where it makes it look like we're a safe place for you to come to get to know Jesus yeah. in a deeper way? Yeah. Yeah, that's, a, that's really important. That's smart. Not just marketing, messaging, but it's in, in touch with what the Holy Spirit seems to really be actually be doing in people's lives, right? Yeah. So the ones who are who are interested, who are on that journey, do seem to want to retain some space for Jesus in their life, yeah, yep. which is yep. which is great. I yeah. mean, that's because that's what we that's what we do, right? That's ideally, <laughs> right? Churches, exactly. That's yep. that's, yeah, that's right. what we're all about, you know. And but yep. but in terms of how, and yet we can't assume that I think, right? I mean, that's one of the things I've learned is that. Every Christian would say, every pastor would say, of course they're about Jesus, right? right? And yet, if you look at your website, the emphasis of stuff on there, like, don't assume that these people know that's why your church exists, right? And really ask yourself, does my website reflect that? Yeah, um, yeah. So that's really a good question because I think this is a great question, uh, a great point in any ministry anywhere is how easy it is for us to assume that what is. Um, common, commonly understood for us is intelligible to somebody else. Right, right. We get caught up in our own cultural, you know, we're the, we're the fish swimming in our own water, so to speak. We don't know. Mm-hmm. The, so mm-hmm. we're not aware always of, of how we come across to outsiders. Yep. And yep. so that, that, and that's true in this culture as well as any other. So uh, let's drill down on that a little bit. And um, what are some, what are some practical things that you said, okay, you maybe change that web presence bit by bit over time in certain key ways to reflect um, that messaging, to reflect that tone or that, right. you know, kind of sense to people who might be looking for, yeah. for for something like that. Yeah, so just one practical thing I'd encourage everyone to do is to get somebody who's not a Christian and, you know, buy them coffee, or if they don't drink coffee, get buy them lunch, just and ask them to spend with you there, 10 minutes going through your website and giving you their feedback. Great idea. Because that mm-hmm. will, they'll, they'll pick up on things that you totally missed. Yeah. Right? And, and you know, find someone that's that type of person you're trying to, to reach with who, the who fits kind of in that cultural yeah. setting and who right. would look at it the way that mm-hmm. you, you, the people you're trying to reach might look at yep. it. Yeah. So, and so for us, some of those things were just being real explicit on, um, I mean, one, trying to be very centered on Jesus. We talk about we're on a journey to know Christ. You know, we're inviting mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. to walk with us on that journey, which is inviting language, but um, f- just it feels warm in right. a way that right. you, know, you, can, you can almost be too, too forward. Uh, other things like we, we have a whole FAQ section on the site, which it's funny how many of these folks will mention they read that, where we talk about, like, one of the questions is, are you the one true church? <laughs> and explain there, like, no, we're not. Like, this is how we see it. We're part of the body of Christ in this particular branch of the family tree, but this is how we see God defines a church, right? It's, it's, it's not a particular denomination, right? And, and then we try to show that even with our practice. Like I said, we're part of Presbyterian Church in America, conservative Presbyterian denomination, but with our missions money, we're supporting some Baptist church plants uh, in Kenya. Uh, we support uh, Loving Utah Some, which is an organization here that's interdenominational, right? So we, we try to show that 
we're all part of the body of Christ. Um, talk there about translation, which is always an interesting thing. Like, what translation do you use? So we explain yeah. uh, what, you know, what makes a good translation, very simply what we use. Mm-hmm. Um, we talk about uh, some financial transparency, which is another big one, right? So yeah, we yeah. even up yeah. on, we don't go... Anyone in our church could request our budget on the website, but we show a breakdown of where, at least percentage-wise, all the money goes, yeah. and some rough numbers to show. We're not trying to hide yeah. the, you know, the money. We're trying to be transparent, which mm-hmm. again, you know, the opposite of what many people's experience was yeah. Uh, yeah. in the LDS church. Um, then also, oh, one, you. Know, some of it is just almost reading the news. What are the hot button uh-huh. issues okay, with yeah. religious stuff in Utah? Right? Yeah, so yeah. a couple years ago, I put in one. Like, will a pastor ever interview, you know, a child by themselves and ask about their sexual history, <laughs> which was, you know, popping that's up in the news. Yeah, issue. right. That, that's a sensitive issue. And, and so Utah, we yeah. explain, like, you know, our policy on that. Like, we wouldn't ever do that if, you know, there are certain situations we, you know, where if that could come up, here's how we do it, where parents could be involved. Just right. trying to understand those things that the people mm-hmm. are worried about in a church and address right. them openly. They're, they're the red flags. They're yeah. the Because they're thinking, like... Again, the assumption is that oh, we want to make sure this isn't like that, right? You know, mm-hmm. um, but that's the only framework they know. The only the only faith framework or religious framework they know, and so they don't have a way to um, unpack that unless you help them, right? By giving yep. them some some clear uh, alternatives, some some answering the questions that are lurking around in their minds. Yeah, yeah. So, but that that makes sense though because that's not necessarily always been an issue. Or it hasn't mm-hmm. been surfaced as an issue. There's other things that are going to happen next year, yeah, whatever right, that right. Um, that nobody thought of right now. Yeah. So that that's really thoughtful. Yeah. And then one other, you know, kind of retooling the website, having that, and also the other thing is, the people listen to lots of sermons before they show up in person. Okay. Um, and so just having, I mean, most every church has that, but is it easily accessible? Yeah. You know, listenable, right? Yeah. Like. I mean, so we had a guy who um, was one of the first of kind of these folks that started coming six years ago, grew up LDS, never been in a Christian church, started researching online, um, started understanding the gospel, and then he probably listened to 20 or 30 sermons on our church website before he showed up in person, before he felt ready for that, and I think that's super common. Yeah, yeah. So this is this is a great conversation, John, because... Um, you know, for years, there's been, uh, in Utah, there's been some, you know, I think wise people talking about all these issues with respect to when uh, a transitioning LDS person walks through the door and what they experience on Sunday, mm-hmm. talking about removing the cringe factor and talking about speaking their language and certain ways that we can uh, connect with their experience and create a safe place. But I, I love the way you guys are are extending that conversation, you know, kind of backwards mm-hmm. in the in the tran- in transition process. What about the person who's a long ways away from ever walking through our door? You right, know, how right. do I help? How do we help? How do we connect and relate to that person and are sensitive and thoughtful to that person um, way way before they come through mm-hmm. the doors of the, of right. the church building? Yeah, yep. so that's very thoughtful. Yeah, and you know, one kind of trick I got actually from the LDS Church. <laughs> I remember reading a news article on KSL or something. It was probably about five, six years ago. 
how they were transitioning a lot of their missionary presence to online yeah. uh, stuff. And so, you know, manning Facebook chats and online message boards and all this stuff, right? And and then even um, using Google ads and stuff. And so I thought, why don't we start doing Google ads mm-hmm. that align with those common questions that people ask when they leave the Mormon church? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is that the LDS church was doing it for people researching yeah. you know, Mormonism. Like, oh, let's just flip that. And so I'm not smart enough to track all the details of how well that's working in terms of conversions, and it feels a little too creepy to ask the people that. that, But but it's funny, because I've had come up in conversations where, as you're just talking to a man a couple days ago who started coming to her church about three years ago, he spent 75 years, uh, well, not quite that, he he converted to Mormonism as a teenager, Mm -hmm. and then was uh, active LDS man until his mid-70s. And... um, uh, his wife died, and he'd stopped believing for a while, but she still was very active and kind of kept him in, but she died, and he started feeling freedom to look into some of these things. And it's funny, because the way he describes it is he'd been looking at these, you know, researching this stuff, studying the gospel, and he's trying to figure out if she, he should go to church or not, and then all of a sudden he says, in Jordan Valley Church's webpage, you know, popped up <laughs> right there, and, you know, he's a little older, so i interpreting through <laughs> his experience <laughs> yeah. of it, but I'm pretty sure it was, you know, just one of those banner ads through Google that because he'd been looking, you know, searching those questions on, you know, you know, what is the Trinity or who is God mm-hmm. or is there a true church, that that connected to his ad because he lived you know, to his, you know, website right. Right. Uh, or webpage because he lived in the area, and then he showed up, right? And he's, you know, been um, just, you know, faithful member for a couple of years now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. That's great. That's those are great stories to hear. That you know what what God's doing through being thoughtful about you know how to connect with people where they're at and what what how people think and how they process truth and and all the rest. So so let's say um, then you know person you've connected with them online somehow they've looked at some sermons they've read the FAQs you know they they make a decision uh, finally to walk through the doors of the church. Right. Um, so that's the first time they come on your radar. Do they do they respond to you at, in some kind of a comment um, feature on the website, or get a phone call, yeah. or anything first, or do they just usually show up? It's probably split. Um, okay. It's uh, one of the, uh, you can edit these stories out if, <laughs> if it's too much. <laughs> but I mean, just it's I love this is what I love about Utah. Like so, for instance. When COVID first blew up, uh, it was March, I don't know, second week of March or something, mm-hmm. right? And so yeah. that put everybody on edge. All of a sudden, flights are shutting down. And then, you know, as anyone here knows, like a week later, we had the worst earthquake yeah. we've had in 30 years or something, right? which shook a lot of people up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so anyways, we then get, um, there's a young married couple that have two young kids, kids start struggling with just fear from the earthquake. Mm-hmm. Uh, the mom talks to her pediatrician, is there anything I can do to help with my kid's anxiety? The pediatrician, who I think is probably just, uh, I guess, either LDS or no religious faith, said, well, studies show that kids that believe in God tend to do better with um, fearful events and huh. process anxiety better. And she had grown, grew up Mormon. Her husband was an atheist. Uh, he grew up here but no, it was never part of any church, and then kind of became an atheist after high school. 
and she'd been wanting to connect with the church, have that relationship with yeah. Jesus, but not her the church that she grew up in. That was kind of the impetus to say, we need to go to a church. So, and like all the other churches, we started live streaming during that time. So they, she starts watching our live stream. Uh, and then um, she emails me uh, after doing that for a little bit. She said, hi, we've been watching the live stream for a while, and we want to have a relationship with God. We just don't know how to. Can you help us? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you know, every pastor's dream. Yeah, right. you know, there's it's sil- it's there's a silver platter <laughs> yeah, exactly, for right. you, you know? Yeah. And it's th- not everything is quite that explicit, but, yeah. I mean, it's more common than not, at least in my experience, these, there's people that are searching and hungry. And so I email her back and want to invite her to, to come on Sunday and then also offer to start, which we'll probably start talking about a little bit, reading mm-hmm, through the Gospel yeah. of John, right? So she then says, okay, that's works up the confidence. I'm going to go, because it's very scary to go to a new church. Yeah. She tells her husband, who she's kind of bit was worried about his reaction as well, uh, said, I'm taking the kids to church. You're welcome to join us if you want, but no pressure. And she sends the link to our website. Uh, husband worked a night shift at that point, and I'm pretty sure he walked into his work shift as an atheist. And he goes on, and we have a web page kind of specifically for these folks that have questions. It links to a sermon and some other stuff, uh-huh, right? Okay. He goes to that. He listens to like seven sermons that night. And I think he walked out a baby Christian. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> like it's, and then he shows up at church too. And they wow. are, mm-hmm. you know, are here um, every Sunday there in town and faithfully serving and growing. And, yeah. yeah. Um, it's just like, hopefully it's, God is drawing his people people to himself, and he's not going to lose a single one. And yeah, it's amen. so cool, because I feel like so much of my ministry in Utah is just being along for the ride of helping these point, almost like a tour guide of like mm-hmm. pointing out the ways that God is working in their life and showing them. But he's he's clearly the one doing that work. Yeah, for sure. Now, that's a that's a great transition, John, to the, uh, the thing I want to ask you about next. So somebody walks through the doors after some kind of period of getting acquainted mm-hmm. remotely or whatever, they walk through the doors, they sit down, you start to build a face-to-face relationship with them. So that, that raises the question then, you know, kind of how have you guys developed a way to disciple those people that fits in our cultural context here mm-hmm. in Utah? Yeah, yeah. And so that the thing that I've grown to love is just working through the Gospel of John uh, with people. And so I, right now, I'm still kind of the bottleneck of that church, at our church. I've tried to multiply it, not very well. So if anyone's got tips <laughs> how to get me better at that, I'd love it, because we need to multiply, because there's just so many people that, mm. that need it. But, but what I do is, and I actually got this idea from, there's this little book called One-to-One Bible Reading mm. by David Helm, and it's very simple, and he just advocates instead of just all like whether it's you know all this kind of evangelism or apologetic stuff, which there's a place for that. But he said so often we're so focused on that at the expense of God's word, which is really what is powerful to change people's hearts and bringing that more into uh, you know evangelism and helping people grow in Christ. And so. Pretty early on, and I, I found most folks are eager to tell you if they're coming from an LDS background or new to Christianity because they're kind of nervous, so they kind of want to like get it out there. Right, right. And so usually within that first Sunday, if 
maybe two, like they'll say like, yeah, this is, you know, grew up LDS, but I'm trying to figure out what I believe. And so what I'll usually do is say, well, how would you like to spend seven weeks reading an ancient account of Jesus' life in his own words Instead, and instead of me just telling you what Christianity is, like hear Jesus' own words and discover for yourself who he is, mm-hmm. right? Because you've got a lot of baggage and all these questions, and I think we can get to answering all those questions, but probably the most important thing is for you to figure out if following Jesus is worth it, if he's mm-hmm. someone you would trust. And the best way to do that is for you to read for yourself an account of his life. Yeah. And so yeah. I buy... And they almost, I thought they went out of print, but they just got restocked. I buy these little, it's only, it's just the Gospel of John itself. It's the New Living Translation, which I really love. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very easy to read, and they're cheap, you know, a buck a piece. I buy them in a 10-pack usually. Yeah, and maybe we can put in the program notes. You could put a link. Know, put a yeah, link right. to where people could acquire that. Yep. Yeah. And what I like about it is it's something they can just take in their pocket, and so people like read it before they are, um, you know, going to work. They don't feel self-conscious because it's not like carrying a big yeah. you know, quad or, or whatever it is, or, you know, <laughs> yeah. even a uh, leather Bible or yeah. whatever. Like it's just, and then they can mark in it. And I say, what you should do, and this I got from David Helm. I think he called it the Swedish method. I say, let's read three chapters each time we meet. And what I want you to do is find a light bulb, which is kind of, think of like an insight, a light goes off mm-hmm. in your head, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, this is kind of cool. I'd never thought about that. So find a light bulb each time. Find a question, which is either something you don't understand or don't yeah. agree with, yeah. and then find an arrow, which is, think of like an arrow to your heart, an application, something that you can take right now and apply to your life. Yeah. And so what I like about that is, because I think so many people are kind of intimidated with, like, okay, I'm supposed to read these three chapters, but then is like the pastor going to quiz me on it, or right, like, how well do I need yeah. to know it? Yeah. So it, it lowers some of that fear in that now they have kind of at least three conversation points that right. they're coming. And so it makes it a lot easier for them. Yeah, what do I even do with this? Like, exactly. I read this, well, what, what am I supposed to do with it? How do I read it? What am I looking for? What? Yeah, it can be uh, just a huge mystery. Yep. So giving somebody a simple pathway, that that's super wise. Exactly. And so it makes it easy, and now they're reading it on their own, which again... Yeah, believe it, you know, God's Word really is. It's one of those means of grace, yeah. the Word, Amen. right? It's what changes our hearts. And so then we'll come, mm-hmm. and usually about meet once a week for, you know, hour, hour, 15 minutes, uh, and go through three chapters at a time. And mm-hmm. they kind of guide the conversation based on the things they um, see, but uh, there's always things that I want to highlight sure. and, and focus. And yeah. one of the coolest things is almost, um, I just finished going through this with two separate couples a little while ago who are probably going to get baptized pretty soon. Um, like almost every time, by the time they're through that, like they have a clear idea of what it means to be a Christian and they want to show that, you know, through yeah. making a profession of faith and being yeah. baptized. Yeah. Awesome. The, the thing that strikes me, John, about this very simple, this method, it, it is simple, but it, it brings together, really, it brings together, you know, good theology with, with good um, missiology, I guess you say, because mm. it really, the theology of, the, of Scripture, you know, it, 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 the Holy Spirit, it's the sword of the Spirit, the Word right. of God is, is living and active, and, 
and it's going to do what it what it sets forth to do. But it brings together good missiology with that because on this on the culture side, you know, the, the Bible's a closed book for a lot of Latter-day Saints because mm-hmm. it it, they read it in the King James Version, which is almost calculated to make sure that you can't understand what it's saying, right. you know, and, and to read it in a modern language translation for themselves. And they're also, like we said before, they're, they're suspicious maybe of the, uh, someone providing an um, institutional interpretation or a filter mm-hmm. or a grid that you say, this is how you have to understand this. And so um, because they want to figure it out for themselves without this institutional structure, then boom, there there it is. Go read it. Yep. Go yep. go read it for yourself. We'll talk about it. Yeah. And and it, it provides very practical benefits tied into that. Like so one is it it starts building in them the practice of reading God's word yeah. on their own, right? So personal devotion. And then also they're used to now being part of a church is worshiping on Sunday. But then also for an hour and a half during the week, I'm going to get it together and study God's Word some more. And so when I'm done, it's a very easy transition for them to get connected to a community group or mm-hmm. Bible study because they're used to that. Right. That becomes what's right. normal in the Christian life for them. And so just a very high rate of them now getting plugged in, and they love it, they're getting plugged in again, and they become you know just some of the best church members you could ask for. Yeah. Yeah, because you started out in a, a in a good way, in a way right, that, yeah, built that, good that habits. promotes those mm-hmm. habits and promotes that yeah. that way of uh, approaching faith. Yeah, that's awesome. So, give me an idea. So, like, I'm sure you've done this with a number of people. You mentioned a couple of of recent um, ones. Um, do you have any stories that illustrate like just how you'd love to see this uh, the fruit of this um, in people's lives? I mean, yeah. give me give me a great. Give me the best example you can think of of, yeah. of this method really bearing fruit. Yeah, right. So one um, that was most rewarding for me was uh, we had a couple that came. They came Good Friday uh, of what would it, that have been, 2019, I think. Um, the cool thing is, is actually one of our elder candidates was preaching that Sunday, mm. which for me, you know, just it's mostly my own issues, always nervous. Uh, I want them to give a good sermon or, you yeah, know, who's yeah. going to visit or whatever, right? And so then we get two people um, that, you know, kind of grew up culturally LDS. Families were never involved in that, but they'd never been in a Christian church. They showed up as a good reminder for me when our elder candidate, Nate, who um, was preaching that Sunday, he was preaching from Psalm 37. God used that passage in him just reading the Word to really begin that change, because they were both very nervous. And Mm. Carrie, the husband, he talks about when he heard those first opening verses of Psalm 37, it felt like he was hit just, I mean, uh, by the Spirit in a good way, in that he felt like, this is where I need to be, right? And it was so cool to see, because in my mind, I'm like, probably most, well, you know, I need to say the right thing or do this or whatever. And it's like, here's, you know, an elder candidate who's not really preached much preaching, and he's you know, he's foundational in their faith story yeah, yeah. That <laughs> through is a God, great right? Reminder, yeah. And so, but then I st- start meeting them and ask if we want to go through John, and so we go through John. Um, they get baptized uh, about three years ago, right around this time. I think it was very end of August, and uh, um, are just like sponges soaking up the word. Involved, uh, the wife is leading our um, just leads a lot of the hospitality ministry in terms of organizing church picnics, involved in all these ways. And then the husband um, 
just became a deacon in our church. So again, we're a Presbyterian church, so there's a big process and a fairly high bar in order to serve mm-hmm. in these particular leadership positions. And it was one of the coolest things for me to see is this guy who three and a half years ago had never been in the church to now be recognized and we vote the the congregation one nominates people for these roles yeah. and then they do about yeah. a six month intensive training mm. process and then the congregation votes after watching them in kind of right. this training process if they want to actually serve mm-hmm. yeah yeah to see the congregation recognize his growth so they would not just have a couple of people nominate him but to say now the majority of the church is saying we are willing to even follow him mm-hmm. you know as one of our church leaders right and that is so and to see when he's getting, we laid our hands on him and the other folks, and to see his wife's face and his face, and mm-hmm. to realize, mm-hmm. and they both kind of, particularly him, had a tough childhood and a lot of tough stuff growing up, and and to see him taking that role was just the best thing you could ever wow. witness, right? Yeah. It yeah. represented a complete transformation of their life. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. That's powerful stuff. That's really encouraging. Yeah. So I hope our I hope our listeners, you know, that you're encouraged by just hearing a few simple stories about how God's at work and and you know some some simple methodologies or some actually the methodologies. What we want to point out is the methodologies are a reflection of um, of thoughtful application of underlying principles. I'll say, how do we reach our culture? How do we connect with? How do we? How do we connect with where people are at? And you're listening to where people are at, and what the questions are that they're asking, and what the obstacles to faith that, and to faith and to Christian church culture that they have in their lives right now, and trying to uh, put together some some uh, thoughtful, insightful answers to those questions. So that's what we're trying to model to churches, whether they use Gospel of John or not, or some other methodology. Um, that's what we we're, we're so encouraged to hear, um, John. That you guys at Jordan Valley have have been thinking this through and working on 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 putting it into practice, and it's so, so awesome to see some fruit from that. Yeah, so, yeah, praise God. It's I mean it's all His work, and we just get the privilege of being alongside and watching Him do it. Amen. Amen. And in our program notes, well, again, we'll put some uh, resources to the book, uh, One-to-One Bible Reading, and how to get to the Gospel of John, and, and how to go take a look at, at uh, Jordan Valley's website, and some things like, some things like <laughs> that, some things that you, can, that you can learn from what, from what they've learned over the years. So this is, the again, the CultureWise podcast. Thanks for listening to us today. This is where God's good news meets the Latter-day Saints with wisdom and grace, where we're aiming to discuss topics related to how Christ followers can more effectively reach Latter-day Saints in their relational networks.